So I grew up just down the road uh, in Raceland, uh, and my grandmother is from a town just south of that, uh, Lockport. Um, so my grandparents' house, I remember uh, they, they, they lived in this old plantation-style house. Um, uh, they lived, uh, their, their front porch was really, really beautiful. They had some nice oak trees out in the front yard, big front yard. Um, and they lived right on the main highway, uh, right on 308, and uh, going into Lockport. So I remember as a kid, um, there was, their house was one that kind of stuck out as you were driving down, right? There's a lot of cane field, and then there's their house, and then it's a lot more cane field. Um, so one of the things that, that this did, it, it drew attention from people as they passed. Um, the, in my lifetime, uh, there were two times that my grandparents' house was on, a, uh, on some kind of a movie production or a television production. Um, the first was there was a uh, there was a wine cooler commercial that was shot uh, with some with some old ladies sitting out on the front porch drinking drinking wine coolers just getting drunk and I'm like this is saying something about my family I think which is really fun um, might just say something about me but anyway um, but I, that was the first one that I remember and I was like I was like little bitty I might have been like just like late 80s early 90s like I was I was young um, the second one though I, I was about 13 14 years old whenever it was going on uh, they shot a movie at my grandmother's house. Um, a guy from down to Bayou wrote it. Uh, it was called The Scoundrel's Wife. I think it's been rebranded since then. Um, but the, the story was, the, uh, there was uh, it was kind of based off loosely off of a true story or an urban legend, if you will. Um, the, the, back, in the, back in World War II times, there were uh, German U-boats that were found in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, so a U-boat was a submarine, right? And one of the things that would happen where the belief was is that the Germans had some people in the United States, namely in South Louisiana, uh, that were trawlers that were going out and they were dropping barrels of fuel that would be picked up by the German U-boats. Um, so the whole concept, the scoundrel's wife, it's a widow, she's trying to make money to keep things up. The rumor was is that she was helping out the Germans and all this kind of stuff. So it was a story of the, of the movie. In this movie, though, there were like some real actual actors. Like there was a guy, uh, Tim Curry, um, if you've ever seen Home Alone 2, he's the bellhop. Uh, he's got a big smile. He's famous for some other movies as well, but we're not going to get into that. Um, he was uh, Tatum O'Neill, who was in Bad News Bear, the old, Bad News Bears, the old movie way back when. Lacey Chabert, uh, you might know, uh, from every Hallmark movie ever. And she is, uh, she is Gretchen in Mean Girls. Um, so, like, it was just like some of these some of these people who were like actually famous people, which was really cool. Were just kind of hanging out around my grandma's house at this time. Our family, what we would do is, is like the three weeks that the movie was being shot at their house, we would go and we would watch, and it was just really cool to see like the trailers and the production and like how they made in the middle of the day a scene that's supposed to take place at night look like it was nighttime, and it was just really awesome to see all this action and stuff. And basically because it was our grandma's house, we could do whatever we wanted, and we had a lot of fun. We ate their food, and we got in the way. I had one cousin um, who was bound and determined that he was going to be in this movie. He was swearing that he was going to be in this movie, and when he gets in this movie, he's going to be so good as a background extra that this is going to like launch his Hollywood career forever. And like he was going to make it big because he was in a movie in Lockport, Louisiana in the early 2000s, and he was going to like win an Oscar for being the best extra of all time, right? It, my, my, my cousin dreamed big. It was fun. Like, so we've gone through, we've gone through, and like we're around, we're riding bikes, we're getting in the way, we're getting yelled at, all this kind of stuff. We're having fun. But every single person this guy saw, he said, hey, if you need an extra, I'll be in the movie. Hey, if you need an extra, I'll be in the movie. 
it didn't matter if it was like the director or the guy who was cleaning the porta potties. He was going to tell them, hey, if you need an extra, I'll be in the movie. You need an extra, I'll be in the movie. I legitimately think, like, in one morning, he had told about 50 people. And at, the, at, at a certain point, I'm just like, shut up. Like, please, just, sh- just stop telling everybody how much you want to be in this movie. Please just be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. Don't you know? Three days in, they needed an extra. And that curly-haired, big-mouth, aggravating kid was the one that they asked, and they got him in wardrobe, and sure enough, he was in the movie. I remember the day we went to see the premiere, it was in the, it was in the movies in Homa, we go, our whole family's there, we're all excited because it's like, it's my grandma's house, we're like, whoa, look at that, oh, look how he did this, oh, all this stuff. We had so much fun with this movie, and sure enough, there's a scene where there's like a burn victim being brought into the house to get taken care of, and you see, my cousin is just his face. And I'm like, that dirty dog. <laughs> he just didn't shut up until he got his way. Best part was, um, he had braces. And in the 40s, they didn't have braces like we had braces in the early 2000s. So they told him he had to keep his mouth closed when he was in the movie. Otherwise, they would see the braces and they couldn't take that out. So the best part is, is the only way they could get him to shut his mouth is to say, you, you got to hide your braces, right? <laughs> So we go through, we're we watching this, and I just remember sitting there thinking, he got into the movie because he, he just kept going. He kept asking, and he kept asking, and he kept asking, and he kept asking, and when he was tired of asking, he still kept asking. He didn't need all 50 people to say we need a, an extra. He didn't need even a couple of people. He just needed the person who was going to make the call that they needed an extra to say, sure, we need you, come on in. Our gospel today, if we don't understand it in its proper context, if we don't understand who are the players and how this conversation is actually happening and how it actually plays out, what it looks like today is that Jesus is just a jerk. Jesus just kind of looks like a jerk. Calling a woman a dog and not listening to her, like, But if we understand the context, if we understand the social pressures and the social social climate of the day and and where they are and who they're talking to, I think it actually would tell us a lot more than just like a jerk Jesus moment. So let's look at today's gospel. The first thing we hear is that they are in the the district of, 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 of Tyre and Sidon. Now, Tyre and Sidon, they are... Gentile lands. These are not within the context of the Jewish religion. These are not the, these are Gentile people, right? They don't follow the same God. They don't follow the same way of life. They don't follow the same dietary and restriction laws. They don't follow the same faith as the Jewish people. So when Jesus is walking through this land with his disciples, all of whom are Jews, what happens is, is that these people and him, they don't associate with one another. They don't really talk. They don't really reach out. If anything, they might fight. They might have a little bit of arguments or rivalry. But for the most part, they just kind of have learned not to really bother each other. You do you, we'll do us, and we're just not going to really work together. We're not going to really talk too much. So Jesus and his disciples, if they're, as they're walking through these areas, if anything would come up, it would be more of a threat. But probably not. They're probably not going to get bothered. So they're walking through this area. 
And a Canaanite woman, a Gentile woman, a woman who is outside of their tribe, starts to shout at Jesus. Starts to reach out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, help me. My daughter is tormented by a demon. Now, when we hear that, Again, we might miss, oh, well, Jesus must really want to help this woman, or this woman must have faith that Jesus is the Son of God, because that's usually how these healings happen. But she's a Canaanite woman. She's not supposed to have that kind of faith. She doesn't follow the same God. She doesn't know the same God. She doesn't follow Moses. She doesn't believe in the coming Messiah in the same way. She doesn't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, because she doesn't know the prophecies and the, what, what the prophets said about what would happen. So this woman is crying out in absolute desperation. Any mama, when she sees her daughter suffering, is going to do whatever she can to fix it. And she's tried everything. She's tried everything in her power. She's tried everything that she can possibly do. And even though she knows that, God, that, that this man probably will ignore her, even though that she knows that this man might just walk right past, might yell back at her, might push her away, might call her a dog, whatever, like even though she knows all of these things, she still cries out. Because maybe he can do something for me. Maybe he can help my daughter. Jesus doesn't owe this woman anything. If Jesus walks right past her and never talks to her at all, he's doing exactly what he's supposed to do. His disciples even tell him, like, she's following us. Like, can you just tell her to shut up and leave us alone? Like, come on. Like, we're just trying to get through in peace. And Jesus engages with her anyway. This woman is far from perfect. This woman is far from, from the person that Jesus would have been, like, that, that the culture would have said that Jesus was open to. And yet, she still calls out. She still cries out to him and says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Like, even the language she uses reveals her faith. Because I don't know the Moses stuff, and I don't know King David, and I don't know the temple, and I don't know all your sacrifices, but I know this is your title, and I know it means something, so I'm going to cry out to you, because son of David, you, you can do something for me. I might not know all the right words, but son of David, you can do something for me. I might not do all the things I'm supposed to do, but Son of David, you can do something for me. I might be kind of a mess, but Son of David, I hope you can do something for me. Her faith animates her persistence. Her faith is what animates her persistence. Her faith is the reason why she doesn't give up. 
Even though she feels like she's being ignored. Even though she feels like Jesus is playing games with her. Even though it feels like there's this, like, he's just being, like, obstinate towards her. Whatever she says, he's, he, he doesn't really care. Like, even though it, she's struggling with this, her faith makes her persistent in her crying out. But it's her trust that keeps her close to it. I, I, I don't know about you, but whenever I'm struggling with something or when I'm, try, like, when I'm trying to decide on something or when I'm moving towards something, like a lot of times I might cry out to God and say, God, I, I really need your help with this. But is my faith animating it? Or is it more like a reflex? Is my faith animating it? Like, Do I really believe that God is going to come through? Do I really believe that Jesus might actually care? Do I really believe that Jesus might actually want to do something in my life and fix something or change something or heal something? Or am I doing it just because my grandma told me a really long time ago that I'm supposed to pray? Or that like I need to go to church because I just need to go. Because I need to go get my cookie for the week and that's good. Or, 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 like, someone told me to do these things, so I might as well do them. Like, is it that my, my faith is a contingency plan, or just like a safety net, or do I really believe that God cares about me enough to do something? Cares about me enough to touch my life and to heal me, or to fix something, or to invite me closer to Him, or for me to feel His presence in some way. That He might actually want to work in me. Faith is what leads us to cry out to God. That's what leads this woman to cry out to God. That's what leads us to cry out to Jesus and to recognize that, Son of David, you might actually be able to do something for me. Not just because I'm supposed to feel that way or because I was told that I have to do these things or like out of obligation, but like, no, 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 God, you might actually be concerned about what's going on in my life right now. Like being freaked out that school starts tomorrow. Or just like, I don't know what the semester's got for me. Or like, I'm, I'm struggling because I, I want to be involved with this thing, but I just don't know where the time's going to come from. Or like, God, I, I feel like this is what you might be calling me to with my vocation, but I don't know where he is, I don't know where she is, or I don't know how the hell I would live that. When we cry out to God, do we cry out in faith? Or is it just like an empty reflex? But after we cry out, after we reach out, after we ask God what we want to ask Him, most of the time the answer is not going to just be, here's the thing and good luck. Here's the thing and have fun. Most of the time, God's not going to say, okay, you've been praying for your husband. I'm going to use this one. I'm sorry, girls. But like, you've been praying for your husband. You've been wanting to know who it is that you're supposed to marry. You've been wanting to know. Oh, and Prince Charming just showed up on a white horse and like rode off into the sunset. We, oh, everything's great and everything's fine. And it's perfect. Because God doesn't want us to then run away from him after. He wants us to draw close to him and to stay there. That he could fulfill our desires and he wants us to stay there. When I was uh, I, I, my, I was able to go to Rome, along uh, about ten years ago, uh, it was me, 
two other seminarians, and one priest. Um, the priest had been to school in Rome. He had been there. He lived there for four, five, six years, whatever it was. Um, and the three of us, it was our first time going. So we were all excited because, like, we're going to go see St. Peter's Basilica and we're going to go see, like, all these big churches and all the sites and all this kind of stuff. So I remember, like, the first day we got there, we're going to wake up in the morning and we're going to go to St. Peter's Basilica, biggest church in the world, beautiful, all, like, these dead popes are buried there and stuff. And it was just really cool, all these saints. Um, it, that sounded weird, but you know what I mean. Um, so, like, we're Catholic, we're weird. Anyway, so, like, I remember, like, we woke up, we were all excited, we ate a quick breakfast, and we're going to walk, and it's like a 30-minute walk, and we're all going, and we're like, great, I got my backpack, you know, like, and ready for the day, and the other two guys are ready for the day, and we walk out the building, and we start walking towards St. Peter's, and, like, the other two guys are just out of excitement, they just go, like, girl, mall, walking speed, like, boom, gone, and, like, me and the priests are next to each other, and I'm, like, trying to catch my breath because I'm fat and lazy, uh, so, like, I'm walking next to him, and I'm just... And, and we're gone. And at one point, we stop at a corner. And I was like, why are we stopping? He said, because we got to turn left. And I said, okay. He says, look at these two idiots. I was like, what? He said, they're half a mile up the road, and they have no idea that we stop. And he said, I was like, you want to yell at him? He goes, nope. I'm just going to let them notice. And so we just sat there and waited. And they kept going. And they kept going. And then we see these two little dots way off in the side look at each other and then look around. And they're like, what the? And, like, we're back at the corner, like, a block behind him, like, we got to turn left. You know, like, like, come on back, come on back. And you see them, they're like, oh, okay, and they turn around and they walk back. That's what you get when you get preached from Lafayette. Anyway, uh, so, like, we're, we, they come back, they meet up with me, they meet up with us, and then we turn left and we go. What happens? Once we're going to turn left, we start walking, and all of a sudden, we come to another spot where we got to stop. Where are the two couillons? Way up in front. Again, same thing. Come on back. And we turn again, and we turn again, and we turn again. And sooner or later, they realize it's much easier if you just stay next to the one who knows where you're going. And don't try and run ahead. It's much easier if we just stay next to the one who knows where he wants to take us. God has a plan for you and your life. If you feel like that plan is already figured out and you're already living it, I'm telling you now, God still has a plan for you and the rest of your life. But what ends up happening so often is that once we get an idea, we run ahead. And then when we finally look up, we finally slow down, and we're looking for the Lord, we're like, where the heck is He? And you're just waiting a couple of steps back. Faith leads us to ask and to be persistent in asking God. But it's trust keeps us next to Him. It's trust that lets God guide in His time and His direction where He wants us to go. Faith may, faith may, be, it may, may lead to our persistent asking. Lord, I want you to help. I, I need you here. I'm struggling with this. Like faith is going to bring us and knock us to our knees and asking and begging God to help. But trust is going to root us on his hip, right next to him. And it's going to let him guide. So two questions for us tonight as we come as we continue in Mass. First. As, as you're approaching this season in life, beginning of semester, time in your family, 
retirement, high school, wherever you are, whatever, wherever you are, wherever you find yourself right now, what is it that you're asking of God? You, you can ask God. You, you, like, you have the freedom to ask God anything. What is it that you want from Him? Where is it that you want Him to work? God, I'm tired of struggling with this sin. God, I need healing in this relationship. And secondly, are, are you trusting Him enough to let Him drive? To let Him lead the way? We, 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 in our culture, we, in our world, we put so much trust in wrong things. And all the things we put our trust in, they fail. Other people, they fail. Sports, they fail. Clubs, they fail. Identity, some false identity that we might have made up for ourselves, it, it fails. Uh, public, public, like, officials, it fails. Like, everything, political parties, it fails. Everything that we try and put our trust in that is of this world fails. It breaks. It's not good. It doesn't fulfill. So it becomes hard to trust. But God doesn't fail. So do you trust Him enough to let Him lead? When we come to Mass, this is what we're, we're establishing. This is what we're inviting our students, like what we're invited into. A faith that cries out to the Lord that tells him and asks him what we want persistently and doesn't shut up until we get it. And a trust that roots us in relationship with him. Where he initiates and he leads and he brings us where he wants us. May today our faith and our trust be strengthened by the Eucharist that we celebrate.